the rest of you, I want to invite you to take your Bible and go to the book of Malachi. It's been a few weeks, and um, the book of Malachi, go right in the middle to the New Testament and turn left. It's the last book of the Old Testament, the minor prophet Malachi, or as the joke says, Malachi, the Italian prophet, for those of you from Clarksburg. And um, <clears throat> we've shared some things, of course, with the snow, snow days and all those things. Um, this has gotten mixed up uh, a lot, um, but uh, I want to just start off with a few questions and lead us into, we're going to be considering verses Chapter 2, verses 10 through chapter 3, verse 6 today, as we're in the book of Malachi. We're going to do a kind of a short mini-series through this book. We've had one message already, and then a couple devotional things via um, the internet. And then... um, so, and then we're going to, and then we'll next week finish up this, Lord willing. I'm just going to adjust this so I'm not giving you guys muffles. There we go. All right. Uh, Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through uh, chapter, chapter 2, verse 10 through, through chapter 3, verse 6 is what we're going to be considering. So I want to draw your attention to that, uh, that you would consider that with us in this time together. So I want to start off with a question. Have you ever felt that God had abandoned you? Have you ever felt that God had abandoned you or wondered, does he really love me? And that's really what's going on in Malachi. They are saying, how have you loved us, God? And see, and and we are asking the same question. You'll see that in the beginning of the book. How have you loved us? Because we can't always see God's love for us, can we? And often when circumstances go a certain way or maybe things in life happen, trials come, it's difficult to, to see God's love and we ask, God, do you even love me? But Malachi tells God's people that he hasn't let them down. In fact, they are the ones that have left, down, left God down. The old story of the couple in the truck and when they were dating, they were side by side and as Years went by, they separated, and she was on the side of the cab, and she's bemoaning this. She's like, why are we so far apart? Uh, We used to sit so close and cuddle on the truck. And and he looks and says, I haven't moved, because she's the one that slid away from him, and that's really what's going on in Malachi. Uh, And so Malachi comes with this burden. Malachi is a prophet, and so these are sermons addressed to God's people, this small province of Judah, after they've come back from the captivity, with this burden, this oracle, as it said. um, He is not just sharing some inspirational thoughts and some positive ideas. He has these sermons that are going after the half-hearted devotion of God's people in Israel. Because God wants his name to be great. And so if you'd look there in chapter 1, he says, I have loved you, says the Lord. And they say, how have you loved us? And God says in verse 5, he says, your own eyes shall see this and say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. And then later on, when you get to verse 11, he's going to say, um, my name for from the rising of the sun and to its setting my name will be great among the nations in every place incense will be offered in my name and a pure offering so the god of the heavens says my name he desires that his name would be great and his chosen vehicle to bringing glory to his name among the gentiles would be his covenant people 
And God still, the way God wants His kingdom to advance is the cause of Christ and His church to be advancing that kingdom one soul at a time. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bringing them into the kingdom and, and, and identifying and loving one another. But they had become lax in their commitments to God. And that's where Malachi comes in. He is a pressured man coming to a bunch of casual people. As I mentioned this a few weeks ago, it's almost like the guy, there's this group of people that have been camping and they've been heating with a propane heater and they're sleepy. And someone walks into the tent and they're still alive, but they're very sleepy and they're very casual. And he's pressured to roll back the screens and get some fresh air in there and bring this. So this is what Malachi is doing. And so this, the setting is, this is about 80 years or so after the people of Israel have returned from Babylon. So it's a v- contemporary with what's going on in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, but a little after that. Um, and so the, the, the temple's back up, and you see the temple sacrifices. He talks about their offerings. And really what's going on here is showing us that even though God has punished Israel, And sent them off into captivity. You would think that when they come back into the land. And there's this great revival with Ezra and Nehemiah. And the walls rebuilt. And the temple rebuilt. And the sacrifices being offered again. That they'd change. But we see here in Malachi. That the same rebellion against God. And the same idolatry that that was in Israel. That was the reason why they had to be punished through the captivity. Had not changed. God had to do something greater, and he's exposing that. And he's pointing towards this messenger for a future Messiah. And so that's what's going on here. And the, but the main thrust that Malachi is going after is this half-hearted, negligent religious service. service. So he's really exposing the complacency and corruption. And complacency and corruption in our, in our lives shows up in, in three primary ways in Malachi that he, he wants to point on. Uh, marriage, money, and ministry. In ministry and how they were conducting themselves and how they treated worship. And even, even how the Levites, the priests, had gone along with these, like, these lame and puny offerings and half-hearted devotion. And they had gone along with it for their own thing. And God's going after them. And so there's this series of, of, of six arguments that outline the book of Malachi. And they're called disputes or disputations. And the first three expose this corruption. And God, all the time as he exposes their corruption, he confirms his covenants, his love. And then he's going to confront those covenants, those, the, the corruption he sees. So that's what's going on. But I want to kind of think in words, when we have a half-hearted devotion to God, when we go away from God, there's a progression that takes place. And whenever, and this shows up not just in, in this, but also in our ethics. And you might see this in in. Uh, in politics, in society, and things like this, that there's really this triangle of what people believe in foundational and then how that affects their relationships with other people and then how that affects their view and use of material things. It really, if someone has a a core belief, uh, it's going to show up in a relationship with other individuals and it's going to show up where their wallet is and how they view material things. So theology, social, and material and economic, theological, social, and economic things all work together. And 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 he show so Malachi pointing these things out is really showing. I'm showing you how deep your idolatry has gone with God. And so 
his burden, his, 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 his heartbeat is just simply, if you're going to sum up the whole message of Malachi, is you're half-hearted before God, return to God, and renew your commitment to follow him. Return to God. And that's a great New Year's theme, right? Return to God, renew your commitment to him. Restore your worship in him. Restore your loyalty to the covenant relationships you have, your marriages, your, the people of God around you. And be faithful in God and how you handle your own material possessions. And though there was such a small group of people, he reminds them that the Lord of hosts is on their side. And he tells them this motivator that I have loved you. And I love that in verse, um, in chapter one, they're like, how have you loved us, God? And he says, is not Esau Jacob's brother? And basically what he's saying is, you're descendants of Jacob, you're Israel. Esau is the twin, not just the brother, the twin. But God chose the covenant seed to come through Jacob and not Esau. Well, what was so special about Jacob that God chose him over Esau? Nothing. What's so special about you that God saved you and not anyone else, someone else? Nothing. It is, I mean, he is, he is saying this is God's sovereign, gracious election, God's free grace that he saved you. How do you know God sa- lo- loves you? Are you not saved? Have you not believed? You would have not done, you would have not willed to believe and receive Christ as your Savior had he not set his affection upon you to draw you, to illumine you, to open your eyes and bring you to himself. He loves you. And this is the motivator through all this. So let the love of God woo you into a wholehearted devotion for God. And that's really what I want to say today is let the love of God for you woo you into a wholehearted devotion to God. Um, I've really been kind of praying about where we would go in our sermons, and we talked about doing Malachi and then a mini-series on marriage and, um, and then doing something in the New Testament. And something that God's really been working on my heart about is, is just my lack of prayer. Um, you know, and, and struggling in prayer. I mean, I pray because I'm supposed to, and I get little apps and reminders to make myself pray. But it's one of the, it's more duty than delight, you know. And I, and um, and so something that God's really been working on my heart is is that part of the gospel for me. I mean, yeah, it's the the, the righteousness of Jesus and eternity and reconciled to God, and and, and I, and I want to focus on that and my sin and how He's brought me and He's imputed Christ's righteousness. But a part of the reason Christ died for me was to give me a prayer life, and by that I mean to reconcile us to a relationship with God. And so, 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 so if I'm letting the love of Christ woo me to a relationship with Him in prayer. Well, that, that's not, not, it's never going to be easy, but, but it, it changes that. Um, to What does God think about me and how I would pray? Because there's a big difference there in how you pray. If you're always thinking he's mad at you and you're, you, you know, um, my sin, all the, you know, and you're always wallowing. But no, I can say Father or, or our Father, which art in heaven. I mean, the, the, this is, he's, he's, a, he's our Father. And we have this relationship with him. And, and in the same way, when we doubt God's love for us, like Israel, like Judah here, like Israel's doing here in this, 
man, these promises haven't happened. We're small. We're back in the kingdom. Yeah, we've got this temple set back up, but it's nothing like the first temple. Everybody's crying about that one. And, um, you know, yeah, we had this, but time's gone, and we're not seeing these promises of God, and we have just as much injustice here as we had before the exile. And I mean, God, do you even really love us? I mean, are you even just? And and then they get corrupt, and they get half-hearted. Okay, well, we'll bring an offering. And, and you, you can see this. You can see this in churches in America. You can see this in our own life. You can see, you know, okay, and then we get corrupt and, and complacent and half-hearted, and we're getting sleepy, and Malachi comes in and says, let God's love for you woo you out of half-hearted devotion into wholehearted devotion to God. And this is going to show up in how you worship Him, in your social responsibilities, in how you handle your material possessions. And so the gospel, sometimes we can look at this and see this stuff because, you know, we wanna, we're gospel-centered here. So when we look at the, the minor prophets, so we're going to like, we want to come to the cross, we're going to run to Jesus, we want to find, how does this connect to the gospel, right? I mean, yes, 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 yes. But sometimes we can be so quick to do that that we take the bite out of it. You know what I mean? So we can see, so we can see in chapter one and chapter two that these guys aren't giving good enough offerings. The offerings aren't good enough. They're half-hearted, and we can be so quick to say, "I'm just going to run to Jesus. Jesus made the offering. I don't have to worry about that." And we kind of almost have this like shock, continue to sin that grace may abound. I mean, none of mine are good enough, but you know, you know. But no, 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 no. The love of Christ for me should make me want to give my best, even though I know my best is never good enough. Um. So. Um, this is Draper. Draper is trying his first year at wrestling. And um, so he weighs about like 48 pounds soaking wet with his clothes on. And and the weight classes are like 45 and 50. And he's already like, you know, scoop super skinny. So we don't want to try to make him drop to 45. So you're just going to wrestle 50, Right. So he has been trying to make it to 50 pounds like every week, right? So he's like always trying and eating this and eating that, and it's kind of fun. And, and so, of course, sometimes we'll have fun in the bathroom, right? Like so he gets on it, – it, it's funny. You only do this when you're like little. So he's like trying to get heavier. And, and, and so, so – but we'll get on there and be like, oh, what am I? And we'll kind of stand on the side and like put your foot on it to make it look like he's, whoa, those Pop-Tarts made me so heavy, right? And you're like, oh, it's like, oh, that was dad or my sister or something like that, right? Making me heavier. And there's a certain sense that when we give to the Lord, there's our heavenly, there's our elder brother Christ that's saying, you know what? You only got five loaves and two fish, but it's what you have. You only have that widow's might. You only have a sling and five rocks. And so you're, as a new song came out, that says you're, you're bringing a sling to a sword fight, you know? And, um, and, and he steps on the back and makes it weighty. And this is what, so, so don't let the gospel be an excuse for half-hearted devotion. It's actually, the gospel's the reason that we should have wholehearted devotion to Christ. I mean, it's a response to God's love that should make us give our best devotion and worship. That the gospel propels us for this. So he gets on the back of the scale and makes him so, so man, church, it, the, the people that are the most gospel-centered shouldn't be like, oh, well, you know, you know I don't have to do this. And No, no, should, we should be like the ones that are like, yes, I want to pour it all in for Christ. And so, 
what we're going to consider in our time today, and I've been out of Malachi for a while, and I'm trying to make up for it, and I need to be careful because I'm losing time here, is um, the third and fourth argument. These are two separate uh, um, oracles that I believe have a theme, which is in the title that's in your bulletin, Faithfulness and Justice for One's Spiritual Siblings. And so let's go with that together. In verse 10 of chapter 2, it says this. This is God's word. Have we not all one Father? Has not the one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? It's God's word. So he says, have we not one father, one God who created us? And are we then fa- why are we then faithful, faithless to one another? And we see that phrase, one another, show up so many times in the New Testament. It's a theme in the Old Testament as well. So we are our father. And what's going on here when he says our father, um, the skepticism that they had had towards God's love had brought about an atrophy that they had of human love for the community, for their brothers and sisters. And that fueled more skepticism in God's love. I mean, it's this vicious cycle. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm questioning God's love for me and my relationship with God. So I kind of grow distant from you know, my church family and people like that. And then you start seeing the, the warts on all the people in your church family and the relationships aren't there. And, and what would have been just like someone texting you, hey, now you're kind of like, wait, are they upset? Or that's just how they are? How cold are they? Or how rude was that? Or, and, then you, and then you start questioning them and then you're kind of more distant. And then, oh, well, this is all a joke anyway. So you get more distant from God and it's just kind of a vicious cycle, right? And we see this is what's happening in Israel. We're questioning God's love. We're questioning God's justice. And so it makes us um, weak in our love for one another. But it is so important for us. So he says one father in the context here. It uh, helps us determine the meaning. The covenant of our fathers. It means he is talking about uh, Israel, the patriarchs, Jacob. Um, so a- Abraham, your father. We see that in Isaiah. Uh, uh, Calvin and Jerome, Jerome all saw this as pointing to Jacob and the, the 12 tribes, the descendants. So he's not talking about that where there's this universal fatherhood of God and everybody's part. He's talking about those that are part of God's covenant people, God's people. Have we not one father? And those that are God's people, there is a brotherly love that connects us to one another. And so as Trip Lee said, a central part of our relationship with God is your relationship with other people. I heard Al Mohler say it this week, this way, that all true Christianity is congregational. That there is a congregational aspect to all true Christianity here. And so he is hitting on this. The community life that's so important. That we, why are you being faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? So what's your relationship with God's people like? What's your relationship with your brothers and sisters towards those one another's and being in community? Are you wholehearted? Are you all in? That your love for Christ's love for you and your love for him shows up in that wholehearted devotion to one another. But then what he does is he narrows it a little more in particular. He goes after this practice that's been going on, namely those that are uh, towards 
a, a covenant relationship, not just with the, in, in the family, but in marriage. So he says, Judah has been faithless and an abomination has been committed in Israel in Judah. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign God. Now, the issue is not interracial marriage. That has never been an issue in the Bible. You see this in from prime examples. Ruth, um, uh, Mo- Moses, you see that in uh, the Moabites. You see this in um, Rahab. You see all these. But they were ones that were coming to God, uh, the God of the, the, the thing. So this is more of a the daughter of foreign gods, meaning they're bearing the character or the commitment that is opposed to God. It's a spiritual thing rather than a skin thing. And so these guys have been marrying foreign women that worshipped foreign gods and divorcing those that were fo- the, their wives that were followers of Christ. And he calls this idolatry. Um, and he says, so may the Lord cut off, verse 12, the tents of Jacob, any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering. Basically, God's not going to accept your offerings. You, do, guys, do you guys get this? Your relationship with your spouse and your relationship with God are connected. Do you realize, I mean, 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, that, that the, your men are to dwell with their wives according to the knowledge that your prayers won't be hindered. That there may be some guys right here that God's not hearing your prayers because you're harsh with your wife. Yeah, that's in the Bible, 1 Peter 3, 7. Um, I mean, the, the, there's this connection. God's refusing their offerings because of what they's done, they've done here. And he goes in verse thir- 13, And the second thing that you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning. There's no regard for an offering except with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Why does God not accept my own offering? He says this, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless since she is your companion and your wife by, here's the word, covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. There's some translations that put there that God hates divorce. And what do you mean? There's a hatred that God has, but there's also in the language and our difference in the translations here that, that you're showing hatred towards your wife when you divorce her. Now, the Bible does give certain circumstances and reasons for divorce when it, was, when it would be permittable. But because you like how somebody else looks and like how they worship somebody else in another way is not one of them, okay? Um, and, and so much, and so this is just this, hey, we're going to divorce for whatever reason. It's not like an adultery or an a, a, a unrepentant adultery or desertion because they were following God or abuse or anything like that. None of the reasons the Bible would give for it. It's just this no-fault divorce. And the irony of this is here's, here's the deal. 
we conservative evangelical Americans, oh, they're distorting the view of marriage. They're distorting biblical marriage and biblical marriage, biblical marriage. Well, where were you guys when you were allowing for no fault divorce 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago? That's when you started distor- distorting the biblical view of marriage. That we, we're committed to this. And so, and what he gives in this, I don't want to chase this rabbit too long, but it's an important rabbit. That he gives us a picture of what marriage is. And this idolatry that they have, um, this going to an idolatrous wife meant that they were leaving their covenant wife. This is just like on the big picture, this is the church wanting to go to the world. You know, oh, I like what the world has, so I'm going to leave the commitments I have to Christ and his people. You know, this week it was snowy. We took our kids out to my parents, the sled rider on their hill. hill. And, of course, as grandmas do, whenever kids are sled riding, they have to have hot chocolate afterwards and goodies and snacks and things like this. So as we're driving back in home, back home, Jamie's looking at the app on her front phone from um, the, the sanctioned from God fast food chain Chick-fil-A. Um, I'm joking a little bit. But and Jamie has a free one of those rewards that we have to redeem, and it's our last day to redeem that reward. Which you know what that means that we have to go there right now on our way home, right? So we're going to Chick Fil A, and guess what? The kids weren't hungry because they'd had hot chocolate and treats at Grandma's house. Now I'm never not hungry for Chick Fil A, but there's something. Why were they not? Because now, now you know how it is. You have hot chocolate. It's just like sugar and water, and and so you got this sugar rush, and then you crash, and then you're really empty. And that's what's happening. It's like we we chase idolatrous things, and it's just yeah, there's a sugar rush, and then it crashes. And there's no real substance there, but we've gone away from the good things that nourish our souls. I mean, I, you know, you have great fun watching the Super Bowl with the buddies and all that stuff. That's great. But let me just tell you, that'll be gone and empty. And there's something so much sweeter and deeper and more substantive than when you get together with brothers and sisters in Christ and have true fellowship. There's something so much deeper and lasts so much longer. It's the difference between hot chocolate and Chick-fil-A. I mean, one lasts a lot longer and it's a lot better, right? Um that's not like biblical typology. Um, and so anyway, um, but there's a picture for us, even on what we do in communion here in a few moments, we have one father, this covenant body, but he narrows this about this intermarriage that they have going on here. And he speaks of this priority of marriage, this specific example of this in their offerings, because God gives this picture in the word we read, union and covenant. This is the important thing. The problem that he, they were on, they were intermarriage with pagans and divorce based upon aversion or just incompatibility, kind of a no-fault divorce mentality. Now, ancient law, you probably heard of the Hammurabi's Code, the Code of Law of Hammurabi. A lot of people point to that, the, the, one of the most ancient laws. They had the, uh, marriage in there as a contract between two individuals. But when you look at the ancient writings of Israel, marriage was pictured more as a covenant than as a contract. Because a contract is something between two individual humans. A covenant is a, something made with three there's the man and the woman before God. Marriage is a covenant. And so as Piper says, staying married is more about keeping covenant than it is about keeping in love. It's about keeping covenant. 
So being faithful to your spouse is linked to being your spiritual well-being because you're to, to leave father and mother and cleave or to hold fast to your spouse. And this is undergirding this covenant. And then he also is also undergirding this importance of the family, that there's this the instability of the family goes against God's goals for a godly seed. Chapter 2, verse 15 there says that God, the one God seeking godly offspring. One of the main goals of a family is to rear children to follow God. So your faith is no more real than when you're at home. And so we want to be a very family-oriented church. Because godly homes make godly churches. And in some ways, a church is a family of families. It's also one big family. So, and then towards the end, when we get to chapter um, 3, they are doubting God's justice. And God says to them, I'll go ahead and read here in verse 17 of chapter 2. You've wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, every one of you does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? So they're doubting God's love. They're doubting doubting God's justice because they're back in the land and they're seeing injustice being done. They're seeing people have their wages withheld from them. They're seeing people treat each other wrongly and seeing, man, there's a mess in God's people, right? And he goes, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you speak will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former days. And then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, who's those who swear falsely, against those who oppose, oppress the hired worker in his wages and the widow and the fatherless against those who thrust aside the sojourner. Do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So basically, God is getting on them for the injustice that they're seeing in their own community. Those that would, um, basically, there's a pay tech, pay, paycheck protection thing here. You're oppressing the hired worker of his wages. You're withholding his, his paycheck from him. You're not doing this right. You're the widow. You're not taking care of him. You're the sojourner. Those that are um, coming from outside and those who are immigrating, those that are sojourners outside, you're not, how you're treating them. All these things, there's injustice here. And he's reminding them, and they're doubting for God's justice, and they're using it as an excuse for their atheism. Um, and they, they saw their circumstances got as God's injustice, and that he's ignoring them. But what, what God does is he says, hey, I am just, and I'm getting ready to send my messenger. And of course, this is the last book of the Old Testament before we see that messenger coming in John the Baptist, right? And then Christ coming. And that he goes, and, and he's, God's me- he's about to send him. It's coming. But what they're doing is they're missing out on seeing their own injustice that they have for others. And all these things that were just mentioned here. They saw their circumstances as God's injustice. 
And they were ignoring their own sin of being unjust towards others. So, do we have people today that doubt God's justice and use it as an excuse for not believing in God? You hear it all the time. Well, I used to believe in God, but then this happened and it was really bad. And why do bad things happen to good people? So therefore, there, shouldn't, there can't be a God, right? This is the same thing that happens today. We, see we doubt God's justice, doubt God's love, and therefore doubt God's existence. And God comes and he says, I am just. And he'll remind us here when we get to next week, I don't change. I'm not going to change. And I've got this plan and it's in place. And you are the ones that are being unjust. Your righteousness, you're just as corrupt as the ones, the reasons that we, 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 you guys were deported to Babylon anyway. And that he needs to send a messenger who will be a forebearer for the just one who would accept God's justice against them and bring about justice in the end in the Messiah in Christ and point to him. And so, would you let the love of God for you and the justice that God is right and in control be something that would woo you to full-hearted devotion to Christ. Not be half-hearted, like Malachi's addressing. And you know, the key to changing in your own life and having revival in your own life is not a new system, a new pattern, a new steps program, a new program, a new class, a new group, a new strategy. Those are all good things. They help, right? Um, A new video class or degree, but it's just falling in love with Christ and letting the love of Christ change you. You know, we could say the same thing in church. Well, how do you revitalize an old church that's dwindled down or whatnot you need a new new program you need a new building you need a new strategy a new style you need a new change all the structural stuff you know what you need to do you need to get back to loving jesus and let the love of jesus now those other things might happen they might be part of it but it's not about programs and strategies and styles it's not about remodeling it's about loving jesus and following him he is the lord of hosts Judah is small. God is great. He reminds them he has the power to bring about justice. And his plan is. So the key is to love Christ. Wholehearted. Fullhearted. Wholehearted. And so I ask you, how's your relationship with our master? Do you believe he loves you? Does he have your wholehearted devotion? One of the mirrors that he does, that he puts before us in this passage to show us whether we don't have, he doesn't have our full-hearted devotion is how our relationship is towards one another. Those in the covenant community with us, our siblings, our spiritual siblings, that we're to be faithful and just towards our spiritual siblings. And then especially in particular with those family relationships and those family covenants. And so how's everything at home? And how does that show and your love for Christ, and your relationship with him. He loves you, and he is just. And yeah, there might have been some things that happened that were really unjust. He will make it right. He is sovereign. He is the Lord of hosts, and he's ready to send his message. And just like this group of people are waiting on the first advent of Messiah, we, the church today, that see a lot of injustice in in our world, are waiting the second advent of our Messiah, where he will make all things right. And so... 
let's think on these things and let the love of God and the justice of God woo us to full-hearted devotion to him.